The night is almost brittle in its clarity. Blades of grass catch the moonlight, glowing white, looking like sharpened teeth. In the trees, leaves droop with their branches like recently hanged men. If you like that quote, there's much more for you to love about this week's book. The Unborn Cellophane. Quiet on the set! Camera speed. Sound production, take one. Hello, all my bibliophiles, and welcome back to another episode of The Unbound Cinefem. I'm Avery, your host, and it's so great to finally be talking to you all. Um, Last week, I think I was supposed to post an episode, and I didn't, Um, but that's because I've I've been trying to piece together my thoughts on this week's book, Um, and I'll go ahead and reveal it to you. It's Final Girls by Riley Sager, and I finished it about two weeks ago, maybe, and I initially rated it um, a five out of five stars because I I feel like immediately when I finish a book, I'm likely to rate it like its highest, and then you give me a week, and I'll change my mind about it, and that's exactly what happened uh, with this book. Going into it, the one of the reasons why I read it is because people often compare it to um, Grady Hendrix, the Final Girl Support Group, and a lot of people also. No, I won't say a lot of people. Mm, some readers have said that this one is even better than Final Girl Support Group. Um, I think that most of the reason is because this story is a little bit more quote-unquote original with its narrative and its inspiration from true life events quite honestly i mean if there's an inspiration from from real life events point me to it because i don't see it that being said um you know it it seems like riley sager really built this world in final girls um truly from his mind and you know used obviously real life inspirations whereas Grady Hendrix was heavily influenced by modern day horror movies which is fine in itself going into it i wasn't i didn't have any expectations in terms of okay this book is going to be better than final girl support group or vice versa i didn't think that i was going to like it anymore or anything like that if anything, I really was just wanting to look at it for what it was and not compare it to Grady Hendrix at all. I wanted to be able to judge it based off of what was presented in front of me um, and, and hoping to kind of get rid of any previous bias that I might have because you all know I love the Final Girl Support Group. I think it's great that my last book review episode is the final girl support group so that you can listen to that and then hop right on over here and listen to this episode uh-huh. anyways um so that being said we will get right into the synopsis riley sager's final girls follows quincy carpenter uh she is considered one out of three final girls in this world that 
Riley Sager has built, but in all actuality, it's just the United States, and she lives in New York City. Um, but 10 years ago, from where this story takes place, or starts off at, I should say, um, she went on vacation with her college friends, and they were murdered in the cabin that they were renting for her friend Janelle's birthday party, and she was the only survivor. Now, the thing about it is that everyone kind of speculates whether she had something to do with it, and she's just not saying anything, because when she was being interviewed as a witness, she couldn't remember anything. They would ask her, oh, can you please tell us anything that you remember? And she said, no, I don't. I don't remember anything. She'll remember the, the first half of the night, sure. She'll remember the last half of the night, sure. But in between, when everyone is being murdered, she can't remember it. And um, so... You know, people will believe her or won't believe her, but there's one person that's always really been there for her, and his name is Coop, or Officer Cooper, and he has been kind of like her confidant since the situation occurred, or, I mean, incident, since the murder occurred, um, because he was there, she, when she, like, emerged from the woods um, after everything took place, he was there, and she just kind of ran into his arms, and so from that moment... She's just always been able to run to him. And um, so where the story takes place or where it picks up at on the first page is uh, Quincy in New York City. She is engaged. Yeah, like kind of on the brink of being engaged um, to a lawyer boyfriend of hers. And she has a popular baking blog, but she's addicted to Xanax. And she's also addicted to wine. Um, But everything seems to be going well for her. Um, Or at least she wants us to think so. Besides those minor substance abuse issues, she talks positively about her life. Um, She still doesn't remember anything that happened, but she just puts it... She just puts it behind her, um, kind of labeling it as the past is the past. Coop and Jeff, which is her almost fiance, have somehow made her believe that she is okay. Um, and anytime that she does show that she's getting mentally worked up um, over her trauma, they kind of just force it down her throat that it's the past is the past. You have to move on. Eventually, you know, you're strong. You can you can get over it, right? And the thing about Quincy is I feel like she confuses this for love and care and support. Um, and yet she has a substance abuse issue and she has nightmares and she's a kleptomaniac. So are you really okay? Like, look, look at your habits in life um, and, and ask yourself, how is this supporting me? Because you're trying, like, she's trying to fit herself into this box or this square that Jeff wants her to fit into because she feels like she needs to be the perfect girlfriend so that she can soon be a fiance. And it's almost like the idea of marriage will alleviate all her problems or will make her feel more normal. And throughout this book, she's trying to grasp onto 
her concept of normal and what normal looks like. So she has her baking blog and she, you know, she like that's one thing that makes her feel quote unquote normal and, you know, cooking dinner for Jeff and just kind of doing the day to day activities of a almost housewife because her only job is really the baking, the baking blog. So other than that, she's at home cooking and cleaning until Jeff gets home, right? Um, and so everything is turned upside down when Sam, the second final girl, appears on her doorstep. And this is a result to the very first final girl being murdered in her home. Well, actually, we don't know that she's been murdered. It's ruled a suicide, but it's like... Yeah, I doubt she's, I doubt she committed suicide, right? You lived this long, why commit suicide now? Um, At least that's what the book says. It's not my words, that's what the book says. (laughs) So, um, no one really believes that it is a suicide, and Sam shows up to Quincy's apartment in New York to kind of be there for her emotionally and mentally but also they you know try to figure out Lisa's death um and this Sam is very mysterious very edgy um and in some ways it reminds Quincy of her old best friend Janelle who was murdered the night um at Pine Cottage And so that's what kind of immediately draws Quincy in, besides the fact that she is another final girl. She she wants to have some sort of um, camaraderie with Sam, especially because Lisa's no longer alive. And so that's her last remaining connection to someone who's had the same past as her. And so they eventually grow a close friendship, But you start to see how Sam is just not, mm, Sam's not a good person for Quincy, but also at the same time, it's kind of like Sam's just bringing out that darker side of Quincy. They're all things that Quincy, Quincy's hungry for, you know, Quincy's a kleptomaniac, but she keeps it her little secret. But with Sam, she doesn't feel like she has to keep it a secret because Sam deals with the same exact things that she does maybe not in the same form but her trauma responses are just as volatile you could say and um so they get into honestly a lot of trouble together and so the rest of the book is really just about Quincy's down spiral of reliving her trauma um, while also trying to maintain appearances to Jeff and Coop, um, and really just living on impulse until eventually she gets into so much trouble, um, that she has to reach out to Coop. She eventually grows to suspect that Sam is not Sam, and she tries to grow more and more distance between her and Sam and in doing so she learns a lot not only about um, Sam's past Lisa's past but her own past and I'm gonna stop there I don't want to entirely spoil the book um, because I will say the ending's very very good very spicy 
Um, so I don't want to ruin it for anybody. Um, and it's a simple plot in itself. So I'll just start talking about what I liked, what I didn't like. And yeah, um, actually, first, I want to go ahead, get it over with, compare it to Final Girl Support Group. Um, I think that Riley Sager approached the story of Final Girls similarly to Hendrix. Um, it kind of seemed that Sager might have took the themes, um, of women's trauma a little bit deeper by bringing difficult topics into the conversation like gender roles, sexual assault, um, and, but, but even then, I feel like there was a little bit more depth into the characters that Grady Hendrix created. Um, you know, like I said in that episode, every single character, while yes, Lynette was the main character of Grady Hendrix's story, every single character had some sort of um, highlighting role or trait or characteristic about them. And there was each character had their own bit of depth. And with this story, the character I don't I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to call them a cast, but in a sense, the cast is very is fairly small. You have Quincy, Jeff, Sam, Lisa, and Coop, right? You have a few other characters that are very very small, very very minuscule. Those characters are the ones that you hear about the most, you see about you or you see the most. And yet Jeff Jeff's being there is like it feels like it serves no purpose. Um Sam's being there, you can tell is very a, very much a plot driver. Um all in all and even with Cooper it's like every single character that was not Quincy had a secret or was holding themselves back to where you didn't see enough of them and and I I get that with the story being from Quincy's point of view you're bound to not know as much as she knows right or you're you're bound to not know more than what she does but even then seeing Jeff through her point of view it was like it was it was still biased in a way um she built Jeff up to be this sort of like savior lawyer boyfriend who was helping her maintain her life and maintain her her normalcy, right? But every time Jeff talked, it was just like word vomit. Him, oh, hold on. Let me try to find it because this was ridiculous. Like, I literally, I gagged. Oh, my gosh. So, okay. So, like, this right here, right? Jeff says... Quinn can do that. God knows she has every right to, but she doesn't because she's managed to put it behind her talking about her trauma. She's strong like that. She's not some helpless victim who skipped out on her family and friends instead of trying to move past something that happened more than a decade ago. First of all, helpless victim? 
a trauma victim, yes, who's still trying to deal with it because it it goes back to the conversation in in Final Girl Support Group of sensationalizing true crime stories, right? Even in our society, in both of these stories, the media is so hungry for a good true crime story. And it leaves no room for victims to get over their trauma and to be able to heal from that. And so for Jeff to sit here and and call them helpless victims because they haven't gotten over it, speaking specifically to Sam, um, no, your girlfriend ain't even over it. She just has, she's just wearing a whole mask because you have forced her to try to be the girlfriend that you want her to be. Like, hello? I just, it, it was kind of like we were given one vision, or we were given one type of way of looking at Jeff, but his words were not matching the way that Quincy saw him. And that's fair, that's valid, if that's how Riley Sager wanted to present the character of Quincy, by all means. But there were times where I literally forgot that Jeff was a character, especially towards the end where he doesn't really show up that often because the the story kind of switches from it being him and Sam, or, well, the story switches from, you know, Quincy living her normal life with Jeff to Quincy living a life on, quote-unquote, the edge with Sam. And so you, you don't see Jeff very often. And so... In that, I completely forgot he was a character because he serves no other purpose to the narrative, quite honestly. And I want to I want to say the truth, or I want to say that the same goes for Officer Cooper because you know she only Quincy only seems sees him roughly once a month, maybe, um, and she doesn't really mention. The way she talks about him um, in the beginning of the story is that she he's just her savior. And you read it kind of like a big brother type of role. Like, the you know, this is, this is the person who's been there for me. Especially because her dad died when she was younger. So it's just, you know, him being there is kind of like replacing that role. And so... The later half of the story, it's a completely different narrative, and it kind of switches. And so the, the character of Quincy might just be the problem. Um, but Riley Sager wrote Quincy to be this, like, like this jealous, borderline vindictive female character um at pine cottage she was jealous of janelle and everything that every way that she talks about janelle is just very very negative and i'm not saying janelle doesn't deserve it because from what i saw in the story some of the things she was saying was a little crazy too but it's one of those friendships it was just a toxic female friendship and so then flip over to sam and quincy and she sees Janelle in Sam, you know, a lot. And that's what initially draws her into hanging, wanting to hang out with Sam more. But, you know, she gets jealous over 
Sam and Sam's interaction with Cooper, Quincy no longer feels like the eye of the beholder with Cooper, right? And so I just feel like the story of a female survivor in Riley's book was just... Mm, there are certain characteristics that are portraying negative narratives. Um, the story was focused on Quincy's thoughts, emotions, trauma, and her past. And so, though the narrative was in first person, um, you still often wondered if she was a a good, reliable narrator. And, and it was because you, you get all this insight into her thoughts and her emotions, right? It shows that she was a flawed person. And I like that because I think a lot of people want a protagonist and a main character to be likable. And parts of Quincy were not likable. And so I think not only is that a little difficult to write, um, but it's also a risk, you know? But in trying to create an unlikable character, Riley also managed to um, portray negative stereotypes of women and also negative stereotypes of black people. Oh my gosh. So initially... I said that I rated this book on Goodreads a 5 out of 5. I had rated it right after I read it. I was high off of the ending. And then I sat, I thought about it, I looked at some other reviews, and I realized that it, it, <laughs> I was very blinded by, by the last half of the book that I completely forgot about the things that didn't sit right with me in the beginning. And so one of those things um, is the way that there are no other black characters in this story. The only black character that is mentioned in this book is a man in Bryant Park who is attacking a white girl who's trying to walk through the park at like midnight. And... Sam and Quincy go on this like hunt um, for men attacking women in the park. Like they go to the park and they're like, oh, you know, like, let's see what we can find tonight. And so they sit, they hang out and almost immediately this girl, like this young girl, probably college student, whatever, um, is walking through the park and this guy comes up on her and starts to attack her and so Sam and Quincy decide to take it upon themselves and help her right but the man is described as raven black hair cocoa skin on the back of his neck and I just feel like that was racially motivated had to be because how are you telling me you thought to write a book about all white women final girls and 
and they, I just, you know what I'm saying? You see where I'm going? Yeah. So that was a problem in itself. And so, you know, like I said, the ending was good. There were a few plot twists in there that I really enjoyed. And I think that really blinded me from not only this, but just the 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 toxicity in what Riley Sager is really portraying. And so I changed my rating from a five to a three out of five because and I'm and I'm going to say this right now. That little bit right there, that little bit in the park really drew it down because I remember reading it and I had to reread it because what do you mean? You're telling me that you're telling me that the guy who's trying to violently attack this white girl in the park just so happens to be a black man. All right, cool. So, and the thing, the thing with Grady Hendrix at least one of the final girls was a black woman and she was one of the most successful final girls in there you know anyway sorry not to go on my soapbox y'all um but yeah that really just rattled my cage I don't think it's fair to compare these two books and say which one is better because they both have their own qualities that make them good right um while yes final girl support group is my favorite book and it has more redeeming qualities um there are still things in Riley Sager's Final Girls that I like more than Grady Hendrix um I think that Grady Hendrix his mm, I can't even say that like I think they both write horror very well and see my thing is that when me and Noah talked about the Final Girl Support Group, we talked about how even for a male author to write about women's issues and women's trauma, he did a fairly good job. But Riley Sager didn't do so well. Um, I think that he needed just a little bit more research um and i'm sure we can find so many books about women's trauma and them being portrayed the exact same way that riley sager has them in this book right here and so i just feel like when people talk about representation that's just that's only one other way that you can show that type of representation is seeing how there might be an influx of a certain image of women or a certain ethnicity or whatever and saying okay let's show a different side to it right because not all women are going to have a substance abuse issue and kleptomania they're all not going to be violently addicted to cigarettes after something like that happened to them and so I that's and maybe it would have worked better if there was just one more final girl instead of there being only three there was four and so we could see the different characteristics contrasting the way that we saw in the final girl support group I know I said that I wasn't gonna sit here and say which one was better but I think we can tell which one I think is better. I'm not going to say it, though. 
Um, because in the final girl support group, you see, you have how many final, final girls, five of them, six of them, and each of them deal with it differently. Some of them, um, are more successful than the others. Some of them have not such a better grasp, but they show their trauma in different ways, but they're not all addicted to drugs they're not all addicted to alcohol and so I just feel like I don't know I don't know I just needed I just need to see something a little different but all in all it was a it was a fun read it was a good read um if you read some articles about it I think one of the biggest things that you'll see is if you're looking for a thrilling, suspensing, quick read, this one is it. Um, Because it will have you turning the pages. I can say that for a fact. Um, Especially how Riley Sager puts flashbacks to Pine Cottage in between um, the chapters set in, you know, the current day of the story. So you might be reading something going on in Quincy's present and then flip to the next page and it's something from Quincy's past. And because you don't know what happened at Pine Cottage completely, you're eager to read more. Um, It's kind of like in Verity, how... I was I was turning those pages as soon as I saw it was a it was a little manuscript chapter. I was like, okay, yeah, I can make some time. I can make time for one more chapter. Um, so yeah, I I rated this book a three out of five. I'm keeping it at that. I will say, <laughs> um, you can find that review on Goodreads. Uh, my username will be linked below. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter. Please reach out to me. Let me know what books you want to review next or you want me to review next. Please don't hesitate to reach out. Let me know what books you want me to review next um, and read and what books you love. Um, And if you've read any of the books that I've talked about so far on this podcast, please let me know what you think and how your view might even contrast from mine. Because like I always say, I love to hear everyone's opinions. So that being said, thank you for listening to this week's episode and I hope to catch you next time.